Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff that we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. That became uh, that has become the intro. It sure has. The, my, do you remember? The, I, I should have f- known because my thing. I should have known this would this would happen because I am a creature of habit. Because mm-hmm. my whole thing was I'm not going to have an intro like a standard intro right. for this, and then that can cause panic. This, but like this weird rambling thing has become the thing, and now I'm commenting on it, which is like a whole other level of. We let people. Do you think? Like last week, we were talking about like minimum word counts on the website. Do you think okay. we let people behind the curtain too much? I don't think so. I think I don't people think so. enjoy it. Okay. I'm glad you agree. I, yeah, uh, yeah I, uh, I'm okay with it. Yeah. They're all part of the family. Isn't it funny that, right? once, that once upon a time you fought against welcome aboard? Now, I think it was because of the, it was the ship thing. Yeah, but, I have uh, consistently looked... I've consistently given the side eye to your insistence on nautical terms and puns. And you know what? <laughs> uh, the branding part of it, people enjoy it. People enjoy making, they'll make jokes about it, uh-huh. but they know what we are. All right. We well, are let's... sellouts. It's all about, <laughs> it's all about branding, David. That's what I believe. Um, let's watch, let's talk about some movies that we watched. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start with a movie um, from, I, I think it's from 1982. Uh, it's called The House Where Evil Dwells, and it's part of a uh, two-parter uh, Shout Factory Blu-ray that I uh, that I watched and will probably be reviewing uh, on the website in the next couple of days. Um, I'll talk about the other movie in a, in a bit. Uh, it's it, it, the the story is there's this house at the, at first evil doesn't dwell there. What happens there is a samurai lives there in the 1840s uh, with an apprentice and his wife. His sorry, the samurai's wife mm-hmm. and the samurai's apprentice and it turns out he finds out the apprentice and the wife are having an affair oh my god he kills both of them and then himself in the um style of japanese of samurai um and cut to 140 years later in an american family a, a a a journalist and his wife and daughter um move in and um they and uh the journalist's American friend who also lives in Japan essentially get uh, possessed by the spirits of these three dead samurai uh, and the woman uh, and start playing out the scenario oh, okay. again. So the the wife starts having an affair with this guy who like she's not actually attracted to and until yeah. like you actually see the spirit like step into her and she starts like coming on to him or That's like neat. it is um, the movie is kind of corny it's uh it's really corny but i I think the problem is uh, that it's um i i understand from what i read uh, up a little bit about it that some stuff was cut out to make it it's about 80 minutes long and i think it could bear to be longer because i think the uh the producers are like let's just get to the stuff with the sex Uh, and the samurai and so there's a like the story like part of the storyline is this um this journalist or photojournalist, it's not, it's not even clear actually what exactly his job is, but he's obsessed with the story that he's working on. Okay. Like even after the point where it's clear they should be moving out of this house, he's still staying there working on the story. But that's like not okay. there. I, it, I would not be surprised if there were more <laughs> parts of the thing, at least in the screenplay, if not actually shot sure. that fill out that story that were cut. And like the, the relationship between the guy, the, the married couple changes from scene to scene and it also seems like there's stuff like 
uh, well, they're fighting. And then I could have sworn at the end of the last scene they made up, but now they're screaming at each other and talking about how all they ever do is scream at each other in the next scene. And it's like something happened here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it is kind of a, it's, it's, it's hard to engage with. Um, it's, it seems like it has two or three like soft core sex scenes. And that seems like that's kind of a big part of the reason the movie exists. Nice. And then, uh, it has a couple of like beheadings and dismemberments and, uh, it seems like that's kind of what they're getting at, yeah. but, uh, I wouldn't really recommend it. You know, that reminds me, uh, on the AV club today, they had a really nice in-depth article. Uh, I mean, not as in-depth as it could have been, but a fairly in-depth article about the, the, uh, toxic Avenger, series. Mm -hmm. And so I was reading through it and I watched one or two of those movies and a couple other trauma films when I was younger. And, uh, and I just like, I loved them so much, but as I've gotten older and I've come to value human life a little bit more (laughs) as I'm, as I'm reading through, like I'm remembering all this. It's like, Oh yeah, I recall that. And I was like, yeah, these things are just real garbage. Like, I mean, I admire Lloyd Kaufman. It sounds like he's a horrible human being, but I admire his willingness to do whatever he wants to do. Uh, he seemed to think that what he was doing was way more important than it probably was. Um, you probably have to feel that way to get those things made, <laughs> right? True, yeah. You need to really believe in it. But, uh, but yeah, um, it has given reading that article made me sort of want to rewatch these movies and admittedly probably hate them. But, um, and then talking about the house where evil dwells, I think I'm just not, I feel like I'm not well acquainted enough with exploitation cinema. Now the question then becomes, do I need to be? Yeah. I feel like it might not hurt. You know, it's, it's a, it's a big part of film. It's not a respected part of film, but it's, it's it part is of respected it. by some people. By some like, people. I mean, we have the new Beverly now. I mean, we've had the yeah. new Beverly for a long time, but since Quentin Tarantino took it over, it's it become even more geared toward that sort of thing. And I have yeah. not, um, taking advantage of the new Beverly as much as I maybe could in terms of educating myself on exploitation. Although actually this coming week they are showing, uh, the blood spattered bride, which is a movie that I've, uh, wanted to see for a long time. So I actually might go, might be going to the new Beverly to see the blood spattered bride. I believe I've only been to the new Beverly twice. I saw ravenous. I was there. And then I saw Dick Tracy uh, uh, only a couple weeks ago. Right. I need to util- I need to go more often, but uh, I don't know. Just I'm one of these people that like parking becomes an issue. <laughs> like I, I'm getting uh, that's how you know you're getting old. It's like yeah, I want to see that movie, but uh, who wants to drive up and down the street looking for parking? Yeah. So anyway, um, so you would not recommend the house where evil, dwell- evil dwells. No. Um, what did you see this week? Well, the first thing I saw was a rewatch. I wasn't really anticipating watching the whole movie, but it it pulled me in. This seems to be a theme with you. It happens a lot. <laughs> uh, where it ultimately comes down to, it's like, well, I'm taking a break from work. I'm going to make something to eat, but I don't want to eat in my office like a psychopath. I, I'm just going to eat out in the living room or the dining room. Jen's not around, so I can't eat with anybody. So I'll just turn something on, and I was like, I'll throw on something familiar just while I'm eating mm-hmm. and then I'm there for two hours and it's like, okay, now I'm really behind on work. Um, so I rewatched, uh, X-Men days of future past. Huh. Now 
I threw it in just because like, I kind of want to, I want to get back into the tone of this. Not because I felt like I had to, I'm going to go see, I'm going to be seeing apocalypse next, uh, next week. Um, but I, I've never been the type that's like, well, I, I'm definitely going to need to see the film that precedes this. If I'm going to really get into it, it's like, I can get into it. It's fine. But, um, but I remember because I, I own Days of Future Past and I was like, you know, I seem to think this is really good, but I don't find myself often in the mood for it. I wonder what that what that is. So I remember. So I threw in I was going to watch that opening sequence that we saw at WonderCon. Um, oh, right. You I know, about that. where all of our heroes die. Uh-huh. And I was going to throw that in and be like, maybe that's why I don't want to watch this is because it's kind of a dark and kind of a depressing movie. I don't want to watch my my buddies die uh, face down in the mud. Uh, <laughs> but um so I started watching that, and then lo and behold, I watched the whole movie. And now you've not seen it, right? I have not seen it. I think you would enjoy it. I really, really like it. The story structure is a, moves a lot faster than I thought. Uh, not always in a good way. Um, it kind of goes from one situation to another to another, and it's like we don't get a whole lot of opportunity to kind of understand what's happening but given the nature of the story the clock is it is a ticking clock situation so you know that it becomes propulsive but um i think what i do like about i think what i like about the x-men series especially the last few movies i think what i like about it as opposed to the marvel series which Mm -hmm. i also enjoy is that the X-Men series really is not afraid to go not merely dark, but almost brutally dark. Like when we saw that opening sequence, um, you know, we see uh, Iceman get his head uh, like burned off. And then mm-hmm. the, and then you see his frozen iced up head just like laying there. And then the Sentinel smashes it. It's like, this is tough. Like this is a character <laughs> we've known for a number of years and we're seeing a very brutal image here. We see people get stabbed. We see people get shot. And we see people actually die. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is very... And I, I'm, I admire that. I admire that they're willing to do that. Like, there's a moment in... There's a moment in Days of Future Past where Magneto has a, a something of a showdown with Wolverine. And he does something to him that, while not exactly like it as it looks in the comic books... Visually, it is meant to look like that. In okay. the comic books, there's a scene where he, where Magneto is tired of dealing with Wolverine, so he rips all the adamantium out of his uh, off of his bones and out of his skin. Mm-hmm. So, but there's a very specific look. There's a this very famous panel of what that looks like, and so that that specific thing doesn't happen in the movie. But there is a visual. It's like I know what you're trying to do there, and emotionally, it works. Hmm. Um, so there's a there's a lot going on with the movie, and so you're it, looking forward to Apocalypse then. I think so. Um, I find myself wondering if Oscar Isaac can play that big of a part because this is a guy, this is a character that we have to believe that Michael Fassbender's Magneto is going to be subservient to. Mm-hmm. That's tough because one of the, for me one of the big one of the great things about the last couple of movies, First Class, and then days of future past is like they have not pulled any punches with magneto like he is willing to do rough things Mm -hmm. and uh and so if if oscar isaac who i think of as a guy with kind of a slightly higher voice and i think of him as kind of a diminutive guy if he cannot sell the enormity of apocalypse 
I will feel like, okay, well, this needs to be reversed. Mm. Magneto needs to be in charge. Uh, so that's, that's my big concern. But I do think you should see Days of Future Past. At the very least, it has... And you might have even heard about it. It has one sequence that is one of the best is filmmaking. Is the, the Quicksilver? Yeah. yeah, I've heard about it. It's it's one of the best sequences the last few years. I, I really like it. Yeah, here's the thing. I I wish I hadn't seen First Class. Not, I mean, I don't just mean that. I didn't like it, and so for that reason, right. I guess I wish I hadn't seen it. But um, I never saw Last Stand. Yes. And I was so tuned out that I only went to see First Class because I assumed it was a complete reboot. I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that it had anything to do with the three, three yeah. previous movies. I thought Brett Radner had killed the X-Men uh, franchise as we knew it. And this was a fresh start. And so then when like I went over the movie, as I realized when like Hugh Jackman shows up for a second and Rebecca yeah. Romain shows up for a second, I was like, Oh, I guess I, and I guess this is still part of the thing that I already walked away from. And I kind of wish I hadn't seen it. I will say First Class is sort of a soft reboot. Days of Future Past, where you have the the dual casts, it that seems almost like that terrible movie Star Trek Generations. Uh-huh. It's much better than that. And it almost... Days of Future Past is almost a passing of the torch. Um, because okay. in, in Apocalypse, it's like it's all the First Class cast. Like, there's not... Oh, really? Yeah. There's not a Patrick Stewart or Ian McKellen or or any of those. People. Is Hugh Jackman in Apocalypse? From what I hear, there's like a, a like a cameo. Maybe he plays a larger role, but hmm. you know, interesting. So I don't um, necessarily have a problem with Hugh Jackman showing up in these things because he's freaking great. I love what he does with that part. Right, and also Wolverine's like 150 years exactly. old or something, right? Yeah. So okay. it's a um, thing that it's. I'm sure once the filmmakers started making this series and they decided to go back in time like oh thank god (laughs) i forget who created wolverine i don't think it was chris chris claremont i think he's the guy that kind of uh etched him out a little bit in the 80s but just the idea of him being ageless basically ageless oh that's the gift that keeps on giving that works um one more thing about first class and move on okay uh i still laugh at first class at the part at the beginning when Rose Byrne goes undercover with the, uh, <laughs> do you remember the part I'm talking about? She's on, she's like a CIA or FBI agent or whatever. Okay. On a stakeout. Okay. And she, he sees, she sees their target, the guy they're trying to track, go into a, like a, a gentleman's club with a bunch of scantily clad women. Right. And then she gets out of the car. She's on a stakeout takes off her clothes and it turns out she was wearing this like perfect like matching lingerie set the whole time and then walks in it's still one of the stupidest things i've ever seen in a movie and i've seen a lot of stupid movies i don't mean to be stereotyping people but i will say if you look like rose Byrne, wouldn't you wear that all the time just in case we'll be be talking more about rose Byrne a little bit later oh indeed yes Um, because i'm a big fan of her as am i yeah it's not of that i love her in spy She's all right amazing. let's talk about the other half of this uh supernatural samurai uh, double feature the the better half though still not a great movie it's uh called ghost warrior uh although apparently it was also released under the name sword kill <laughs> um, which is like that's kind of like what i talked about the last movie just like just cut to the exploitation stuff it's yeah. like don't don't leave anything to the imagination yeah. People are going to get killed with swords in this movie. This movie is called Sword Kill. Yeah. 
Um, but they were, they were thinking of sword and it's like, yeah, but what does it do? And then they're like, well, what about kill? Yes, but how? I think we got this guys. <laughs> so ghost warrior is about a, uh, it's sort of like samurai and Sino man. It's a samurai who in 1550s, uh, after his wife is killed by some bad guys, he, he's trying to protect her. They kill his wife and they think they kill him. But he falls into like a frozen, like a, a river of ice and then freezes and, 400 years later um, is unfrozen and shipped to a cryogenic facility in Los Angeles. And so he uh, comes to wakes up. Um, no one, they didn't bother to get that. They found like, well, we have our doctors. We should get someone who's an expert on Japanese culture, but um, apparently not someone who speaks Japanese that, <laughs> is apparently not high on their list of priorities for this person. So the guy wakes up and uh, uh, no one can talk to him. Uh, and then a uh, creepy uh, janitor guy, someone who works at the facility, tries to steal his swords and gets killed by him. Mm. Um, and then he goes like running around trying to figure out where he is. And he goes into downtown Los Angeles and it's, uh, he ends up like fighting some, he like teams up with a world war two vet, uh, an aging world war two vet to fight off some street toughs. And then, um, it turns out he's, uh, too good for this world or whatever. Sure. And, uh, the, the cops catch up with him. It's, oh, um, okay. it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's pretty lightweight fare, but, um, it's a much more fun time watching it than, the house where evil dwells because yeah. it's a more consistent and more engaging, even if it's familiar, uh, movie and, uh, the acting is not great, but, uh, definitely better than the house where evil dwells. And you get to see some, uh, 1980s, uh, Los Angeles location sh- shooting. That's nice. always fun. All right. What's next for you? Next for me is, uh, Rodrigo Garcia's last days in the desert. Oh, oh, good. Well, we can kill two birds with one stone because that's also one of the movies that I saw this week. Now, before we get to the film itself, oh, here we I go. will say, oh, now, you, this te- is a, you tease this off mic. Now, this is a thing that we don't do very often, but this is exciting. All right. So my wife and I went out with a friend of the show, Jason Egan, and his wife. We went to go see this film in Santa Monica. It's only playing in one theater, Lemley Theater, correct? The Lemley Monica Fourplex. That's the one. And which I hadn't been to since they remodeled it. It's or renovated. It is. It's, it's a, super nice. It's the first nice. time I've been there. It's super yeah, nice. Nice. Um, so I had a celebrity sighting. Now, you know, if you're here for any length of time, you will see celebrities here and there. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Some of them I don't even mention on here because, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I have like seen major celebrities and forget by the time I like saw my wife or my friends again, like forgotten and haven't like told people like, that's how I, that's, that's how common celebrity settings yeah. are. Especially, I don't want to say, especially in the neighborhood where I work. I yeah. see, I see a ton. I, I think I talked about on here, actually seeing Alec Baldwin just the other day. Uh, yeah. And that. I will say this, that when I was, I mentioned, I think I mentioned it to you, but like I was at my target in North Hills and uh-huh. I saw one of the guys from workaholics and he was also in dope. I think his name's Blake Anderson. So I saw him uh-huh. and I was like, this is weird. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I, I'm sure, you know, he's a younger guy. Maybe he lives in the Van Nuys area, but nonetheless, I was just like, this is odd. 
I just because I I think I had just seen dope like the weekend before. It was right after Comic Con. And so I was like, I'm not used to seeing people that I've seen on a screen here in North Hills. Yeah. Um, but, uh, okay, so. All right. But we're going to do a little guess. Celebrity again. sighting. Now, there's almost there's almost a trick to this. But if I say too much, I will give it away. Well, why don't I ask you questions then? You ask me questions. Uh, is this a movie star? Yes. So it's an actor? Yes. Male? Yes. There's a hesitation there. That's right. Is it Jay Davidson? <laughs> no. Oh, boy. That'd be fun. Uh, no. Why is there a hesitation on whether or not he's a male? I, uh, I'm trying to think. You're going to have to think out loud. What's that? You're going to have to think out yeah, loud. Yeah, because it would not be good, uh, yeah. good listening. So is it a transgender man? No. Is it a male who is famous for playing a woman? No. Why was there a hesitation mm, on, tough. is it a male? It's tough. Uh, that, okay. This is, this is going to be, that seems like I, and I don't give know, it away. I don't know how to, how to say this other thing. How about this? It wasn't just one. Okay. Are they both male? No. Okay. Is this a married couple? Yes. Okay. Is it, see, I don't know who's married, though, is the problem. Both celebrities. Is it Dax Shepard and Kristen Bell? That's the one, no. I'm just trying to think of, like, famous married couples, because everyone I can think of, my gossip is always 10 years old. Okay. Like, I was going to say, is it Josh Brolin and Diane Lane, but I don't think they're even married anymore. Are they not? I don't know. Maybe they are. I don't keep track. Yeah, I don't keep track of this is one that I know. This is one that everybody knows. It's Jay-Z and Beyonce? No, because I said, you said it was movie stars. Right. Um... And well, by the way, back you know when how I, much I love dream girls, uh, back when I lived in, uh, Chicago, my friend, uh, Coriana, shout out to Coriana, mm-hmm. um, worked at, uh, as a waitress at the cheesecake factory and, uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce came into the cheesecake factory nice. <laughs> while she worked there. Um, all right. So uh, this is a married couple. Are they, how old uh, do I you do yes or no questions? Let's go yes or no. Okay. Um, our age. No. Like gray haired. Yes. Okay, okay. Well, one okay. of them. Is it uh, Helen Mirren and um, the... Uh, who's her husband? The Taylor director, Hackford. Taylor Hackford. Is no. it them? You know, I saw them once. Oh, that's fun. At the shortstop of all places. Shortstop, where is that? It's a bar uh, on Sunset Boulevard. It's Yeah, I've been there. Uh, yeah, we went there um, uh, for my... It was one of the places we went to my bachelor party. Okay, yes, yes. Because it's, it's called the shortstop because it's near Dodger that's Stadium. That's right, yes. Um, listeners, this might not be interesting for you and I don't super care. Okay. Um, are these white people? White. They're as white as you can get. Okay. Um, <laughs> do you remember Leonardo DiCaprio in, uh, Django Unchained? When, uh, he said there's an emergency when Samuel Jackson trying to get him out of the room. He's like, there's an emergency with the dessert. And he's like, we're having white bread. <laughs> what could be the emergency with white bread? <laughs> uh, Okay. So this is older, mm-hmm. white, both movie stars? Yeah. Both movie stars, older, white, married. All right, give I'm me clues. I'm pretty sure they're married. Okay, okay, okay. The, uh, let's say, if nothing else, common law married. Oh, is it Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn? It is not. Because they are not married. Um, give, me, give me another hint to make it better for the listeners. One of them is quite possibly one of the biggest movie stars ever. Um, biggest movie stars ever. 
yeah. but not necessarily currently. Right. Harrison Ford and Calista Flockhart. No. But you're getting there. Has this person been in movies recently? The the uh, either one of them. Define recently. Any big movies in the last three years? Who's okay? Go ahead. Answer uh, that. Probably, but not that I recall. Okay. Who's the bigger star? The man or the woman? The man is the bigger star. Man is the one of the most famous actors. Well, you said one of the biggest actors of all time. Is this literally just a tall person? Yeah, that's it. No, no, no. I mean, I say his name to anyone. They know who he is. Anyone. Anyone. Your mom knows who the person is. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Is it Robert Redford? No, you're getting there. I'm getting there. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman? No. Now you're really getting there. Am I really? Gene Hackman? No. Oh, cause it's all bigger stars. No. He's, he's tall. He's worked with a lot of those people. He's an actor who has worked yeah. with all the... Uh, I'm dumb because I almost said someone who's dead. Um, oh, he wasn't alive. <laughs> <laughs> I should have said that. I'm sorry. His oh. wife has gone crazy. Um, was it Richard Dreyfus? It was not. Okay. Who else? So I'm in the right era. Very much so. Big in the 70s and 80s, early 80s maybe? Or would you say 70s more? 70s more, but 80s as well, yes. Comedy? Drama? Both. Both? Is this person an Oscar winner? Yes. I said it with a weird tone. Think about that. Oh, is it like a Lifetime Achievement Oscar winner? No. So this person, this, the man, is the woman an Oscar winner? No. Okay. The man is an Oscar winner, mm-hmm. but not, maybe not necessarily for acting. Right. Is it Tim Robbins? No. No. No, I went too late there. Yeah. Mel, yeah, Mel Gibson would be too late. Also, his wife is not famous. That's correct. Uh, except well, for, yeah. she's famous for being <laughs> yelled at and harassed. Oh, this is so much fun, but I don't know if it's fun for the listeners at all. I, I worry Probably about not. that. They might, it, it could be torture for them. They might oh, I hope so. Okay, give me another clue. Give me another clue. Because uh, I don't want this to go on forever. Uh, let's see. We love... Well, no, hang on. No, no. I'm not going to do that. Um, she, is, she is an Oscar nominee. Okay. That might be too see, much. It's not, because the problem is I don't know who's married to whom. Hmm. She's an Oscar nominee. Yeah. Multiple. A multiple Oscar nominee, huh? Yeah. But she's never won. Never won. See, I, I shouldn't have gotten, gone down the Oscar road because I don't know. Okay. I don't know who's, who's won Oscars. Okay. Um, and again, I don't know who's married to each other. That's true. Um, give me another clue. Oh, this is tough. Uh, let's see. Um... It's okay if it's a little easy. Okay. Because I want to, I want this to be, Let's I want see. this to go on forever. Uh, he's very good looking. <laughs> like in that, like in that seventies, Robert Redford kind of way. Like he was known for being good. Is it Ryan O'Neill? No, you're getting there. But this is much, <laughs> Ryan O'Neill, one of the biggest movie stars of all time, as we know. 
Your mom knows who Ryan O'Neill is. I don't know if she does. I think she does. Okay. Listeners, I'm so sorry. No, don't be or sorry. Or not. I don't know. No, I'm the listeners this. are loving this. Yeah. They're loving this. Yeah. But neither one of them has been in a big movie in the last few years. Not that I can think of. Uh, that's rough. That's rough. She might have been. Everyone She's much of. more active than he is now. Okay. 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 I'm going to look her up so that I can specifically. Everyone I can think of. I've either said already or has passed on. Uh, is it Sean Penn? No. No, because he's, be, he's too young and also he's not very good looking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should have asked, are these people both Americans? Yes. Okay, they are both Americans. Okay, so I was correct. Neither of them have been in anything big for a while. You go you go probably five or six years out and now she's getting into stuff that we've seen. Huh. Okay. And these are uh, are her Oscar nominations from later? Like the two thousands? She was nominated for Oscars in the twenty first century. Yes. And at the end of the nineties. All right. Oh, hang on, maybe at the beginning of the nineties too. Is it uh Warren Beatty and Annette Benning? That is correct. Ha <laughs> ha! Fuck yeah. Okay, yes, 91, she was, no, uh, in 90, she was nominated for the Grifters. So, yeah. Okay. That's a big fucking deal. That's awesome. Yeah. It happened, what happened was. Is she taller than he is? Uh, I didn't see him standing. Okay. But okay. here's, so here's what I'll say. Well done, by the way. Good job. Um, did I, did I make it too easy there at the end? No, I mean, I, I, the listeners, for certain listeners might have gotten it forever ago, but yeah. no, it was, yeah. Uh, so, Okay. So Jen and I were a little bit late to the movie, and so we're uh, we're like walking into the theater, and then there's a, a woman walking up, and it's like, oh, I better hold the door for her. I was like, huh, she looks like Annette Benning. Oh, wait a second. And then I thought you should like, have had the moment like Tony Soprano. Are you Annette Benning? <laughs> do you remember that? I don't remember that. That you would remember, be kind of awesome. Annette Benning is in his dream. I do remember that. And, yes. But in the dream, she's John Hurt's character's not John Hurt. Hurt John Hurt. Yeah. His character's wife, even though I think he's already dead in that point. But yeah, he's his dreaming character about is him. not himself uh, in that. Right, right, right. That's right. That's right. And they're, they're like having the, a conversation. Then he leans over. Yeah. And he's like, are you Annette Bening? She's like, yeah. He's Man, like, that works out so. so well. That is such a, like, that is such a perfect <laughs> dream. That's exactly how dreams work for me. Yeah. Um, I've always yeah. said, yeah, the uh, Sopranos and Buffy, the two shows that did dream sequences the best. So when I, so then I went and sat down and uh, uh, Annette Bening then walked up and uh, just kind of found a seat. And I look over and I was, just, I was like, oh, I wonder who Annette Benning's here with. Oh, right. Oh, shit. And it's like, I might need to say something now after the movie. Like, yeah, after the movie. That's, that's, that's a, you know, I mean, we're, we're getting into Dick Tracy, Bullworth, uh, The yeah. Grifters, Bugsy, like movies that I love, really love. And she was just in Danny Collins last year. Which she I, was, yeah. Which I saw, yeah. And that's the thing. It's hard to know if, because she, she's definitely been active, but it's hard yeah. to know if she's been in anything big. Kids are all right. It was six years ago now. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, and then after the movie, I was like, okay, do, maybe I'll say something. I don't know. That's tough. Uh, and so I was in the, uh, I didn't say anything, by the way, but I was in the restroom and I was. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you did. I wouldn't have. Yeah. And I was waiting to, 
I wouldn't, I was not going to give them a card. I would have said, Hey, these movies that you made had a huge impact on me personally. Mm -hmm. Um, that's probably where I would have left it. But, um, anyway, so I was in the uh, restroom, uh, the urinal doing what uh, a person does. Um, (laughs) go on urinating. Uh, (laughs) so, and then, uh, Warren Beatty is uh, waiting, because uh, there's a long line of people there and he's just waiting and it's just it's weird to see Warren Beatty just waiting in a bathroom it seems yeah. like everybody should just like clear a path just like stop going step <laughs> aside and let Warren Beatty go uh, but what was interesting there was a guy standing next to him that was an older guy that I didn't recognize and then Warren Beatty said to him let's say the guy's name is Roger it wasn't but let's say let's say that he goes Roger and he goes hey Warren how you doing he goes and Warren Beatty's like Roger, how you doing? I haven't seen you in so long. It's so great to see you. And I was just like, man, this fucking Warren Beatty's great. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't recognize this other guy. It's not to imply that he's not recognizable. He's probably somebody. But the idea that, like, Warren Beatty would, like, be so excited to see, like, a regular person uh, uh, or rather not a big star. Like, I don't know. It's just, I, I have an image in my mind of what a movie star acts like, which is even if I see someone across the room that I'm excited to see, I will wait for them to get to me. And uh-huh. then they like, that's, that's my image of a movie star. And it's super shitty because they're still people. I've been told that by us weekly. Um, they're just like you and me. Yeah. But, uh, but in this moment, it's just, I think because I just, uh, he seemed it just seemed like he would be so closed off, but he was like open and casual and just, you know, he was, it was, it was super nice. That's great. And I, and it led me to believe like, you know, if, if we were all like outside the restroom, he probably wouldn't mind if I had actually come up to say something, something personal, right. you know, but I opted not to. And we just left yeah, definitely but, not uh, in a restroom. Yeah, of course not. I'm not a monster. Right. Um, um, we should get to the movie. Yeah. Sorry. Because it just occurred to me that the movie is directed by Rodrigo Garcia, who has directed Annette Benning in the past. Oh, and, okay. Uh, Mother oh. and Child just. Uh, that explains it. Uh, yeah. Or I mean, they could just Maybe be they interested just, yeah. in seeing the movie. But you know but what? Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the other thing that got me. It was a Friday night. They went out to see a movie. Like, it's yeah. date night, 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 night. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> that's, I don't know. I thought it was kind of a duel. Because they met on. Bugsy. So they've been together for 25 years now. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of, you know, again, you have an idea of what a movie star we- uh, marriage is, which is not existent anymore. Uh-huh. Like you last for 10 years and then it's over, but like they're still around and uh, they both look really good. I'll say that he still looks good. She still looks good. Fantastic. They're, they look like movie stars. All right. Let's transition awkwardly now to talking about this movie about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I, uh, I'm going to say right out of the gate, I loved this movie. You adored it. I, I don't know if that's the right word for this kind okay. of movie, yeah. but uh, I was um, awestruck. Okay. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. It's my new favorite Rodrigo Garcia movie, um, which I guess I've been uh, back and forth on whether I like that guy. I like a lot of his TV work more than his. I didn't like Mother and Child very much. I didn't like Albert Nobbs at all. Mm. Um, but I thought this was... Uh, fantastic um what did you think of it uh i would say i really liked if not loved it um you know that's the thing is you know when you're a christian you see a movie like this yet you kind of look at it from both angles as a movie i love it can i ask you yeah is this movie like are, are christians excited about this movie 
They're aware of it. They're aware of it. I don't know if they're excited about it. Because why, this, why wouldn't they be, I guess? Because that's that's when they start to, it's honestly they look at the caliber of the actors and it's like, okay, this is Ewan McGregor, he's a big star. I don't know if he's a big star, but like they for Christian for a movie He's Obi Wan. Yeah. For poten- for a movie that's potentially for Christians, he's a big star. Um and uh so they look at that and their first thought, and this is gonna sound super insulting for me to speak for them, but this is about right. They look at that. They think back to Noah. They feel like I got burned on Noah because it's not, it wasn't a straightforward adaptation. Now me personally, I love Noah, but the most of like the Christian movie going audience, uh, thought it was a huge ripoff. That's why you saw such a plummeting of, of a box office from one weekend to the next. Um, Hmm. when this movie is, Last Days on, in the Desert is a speculation. Yeah, yeah. And I think I've gotten the impression in the past that that bothers a lot of the main Christian audiences, that they basically want to see, if they want to see a Bible story, they it want they want it to be an adaptation of something that has happened in the Bible. That's the impression I've gotten from things like Last Impatient of Christ is um, for more reasons than just that, but yeah. is very, you know, uh, bothers them in Noah, like you're saying. If it's, if it's speculative or if it's a twist, it seems to not find purchase definitely if there's a twist um speculative i don't think necessarily bothers people uh automatically but i do think that you know being burned by noah and then looking up who darren aronofsky is and that he is like an ardent atheist mm-hmm. um it, it caused them to look up rodrigo san uh not santor rodrigo garcia. garcia and see that he is not he is does not claim to be a christian or really spiritual at all and so that immediately puts them on edge. It, it, it makes them a little bit defensive. So from what the various articles that I've read, uh, people have talked about like the film being sacrilegious and then it quickly, beca- which I don't agree with, but like it quickly turned into, well, what do you expect? So that's okay. Thing. So like, what about, cause I, I'm not always clear on what constitutes sacrilegious blasphemy. I don't what about I it? Totally are they, know. are they against, uh, and this is where my personal uh, beliefs uh, kind of go against what I would say Christian culture's belief is as opposed to actual Christianity. Um, they don't like the idea. So, like, there's a moment when uh, Jesus is asking, credit as the demon, but basically Satan, and asking, like, what yeah. is it like to be in God's presence? And. Well, they say that like, it's like, well, it's Jesus. He's the son of God. He was always in God's presence. And now I look at that. I'm like, yes, but he's physically on earth. And so, and we're talking about like celestial, like ethereal, heavenly uh, presence. So like, to me, that's what it means. But they're thinking in, you know, they're thinking in very, very strict, very literal terms. And I think that has more to do with being, uh, think, having to think abstractly about who Jesus was and, uh, there was a, and how he's portrayed. There was, a, and I, I can't believe you and I haven't talked about this on mic or off mic. Um, but there was um, an AV Club editorial. I know you and I both read AV Club mm-hmm. uh, uh, religiously. <laughs> no, hey, I, I didn't mean it like watch that. Watch out! Uh, but a, a couple of months ago, about about um, faith based cinema and like oh, yeah, where I, it is I now. Uh, I didn't know that you did on yeah. the on the podcast. You did or? no on in the comments. Okay, uh, had a good good conversation. Um, oh, that's good. Uh, but um, part of that guy's assertion was it seems what he feels like the modern day Christian uh, 
film going audience essentially wants to see movies that confirm how they already feel. Sure. And so this movie being kind of ponderous and, um, questioning, I guess of, mm-hmm. with things like that. Uh, is that why it, it's, is that I why it's sacrilegious or is that just why no, it's not? It's, um, it's that Jesus says stuff that it sounds like Jesus in the Bible wouldn't say like, like asking like, you know, and there, there's honestly, there's a moment there at the end when he's asking, Satan, like, like what, what, show me this kid's future. Like, and just, I'm okay with seeing an insecure Jesus. I'm okay with seeing a, a, a stoic Jesus, but like by asking Satan, uh, Hey, can you give me this information that I so badly need? I think I'm not sure if I, I to me, sacrilege is a, is a big charge mm-hmm. and it's not one that I would, uh, throw out there, uh, casually. Uh, and so I'm not, I would not say that that's sacrilegious, but in that moment, it's just like, you know what? It's one thing to, to make Jesus as human as possible, but like he is still who he is. And the film is also him embracing who he is. Um, though I'll get to that in a moment. It's, it's the, to me, the film is, and you know more about Jesus than I do, but to me, what I liked about last days in the desert is that it's the, it's the lead up to the Jesus that we know. It's him yeah. figuring out how to become that person because the gospels are written by the, 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 the disciples who didn't know him at this point. Right. Right. This is, this is essentially right before that. Right. Do you know what I mean? So there's, when you say that this wasn't how he talked, it's like, mm-hmm. well, I guess I'm just thinking chronologically, like he wasn't quite that person or, or, or that right. he wasn't there yet. You know, he was figuring out how to be there. Personally, I think I would have liked to see a few more seeds of it that he just didn't know what to do with. And I didn't see quite enough of that. But well, there's one the very blatant time, thing where sure. he's literally coaching himself on choosing the right words and, yes. and stuff like that, which I... And that I'm okay with. I, yeah. I like that a lot. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's just... But what, but what bothers me about that, it's just he says, he's like, you need to use your words better, choose the right words, and... You know, he goes, but also with action, go with action or just remain silent. And I was like, eh, Jesus said a lot, uh-huh. you know, and he said a lot of stuff before he did any action. Um, you know, you're thinking of St. Francis of Assisi, <laughs> you know, that's a different thing. And I, and honestly, there are moments when, you know, when I try not to be kind of the standard Christian being like, well, that's not what Jesus is. But if you're, it's, if you're trying to explore who Jesus was, that's fine. But I think that. Right up until, like, uh, before he says, he says, you know, otherwise silence is better, whatever he says. Mm -hmm. Um, That moment, it's like, okay, that's modern culture and not Christian culture. That's modern culture that says, like, these are just words. You know, it's all about action. It's all about making people's lives better in in a practical way, which I agree with. It's a very biblical idea, but either action or silence that is not necessarily a Christian idea. And it definitely is not a Jesus idea. Um, you know, what, what I like about the movie is that it's not, um, you could easily make a case that, uh, because, because the movie's so open, open to interpretation. Sure. You can make the case that, well, that's a thought he had in the moment, but that wasn't who he became because he's a, in flux at the time. And, and I, I love that this movie is a movie that's full of conversations mm-hmm. that could be about huge ideas or, could just be little things on the path to something else. Uh, I really was fascinated by this idea that, it, uh, that the movie there, there's a way of looking at the movie 
that says that none of this is actually that important and you can take it that like that and it still is a is a great movie I, I found that really fascinating that it's not convinced that it's giving you the building blocks of jesus christ or yeshua uh, as he's as he's referred to um or holy man or uh, uh, rabbi. rabbi yeah um uh, I, I I loved how open ended the movie was. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, there's definitely a, you know more than one lesson in here, and I don't mean to to say it's just like this isn't the Jesus I know. I never wanted to be that guy, and I don't like to think in those terms. I want to think a little bit more abstractly, um, because if this is a non Christian uh, portraying Jesus, not merely Ewan McGregor or the writer, well, he Rodrigo Garcia wrote and directed. Yes. So, um, you know, if that's how he wants to portray him, it's like all right. I'm, I'm at the very least curious. And as a character, I think he's fascinating. I think it's a wonderful performance. Um, but then it's also... A, it's a dual performance because he's both of them great. just as much... Um, yeah, he's he's also Satan for the most part. Yeah. Satan shows up in a couple of other forms, I think. Yes. But um, 95% of the time, yeah. if not more, it's Ewan McGregor as, as Satan. Yeah. And um, we know he's Satan because he's got an earring. You know, that should tell you, that should tell you, you know, and he rides up on a motorcycle at one point, um, no, no he, helmet. Um, he does, he's like wearing the same clothes, but he's wearing them differently. He, he's basically like, he's, he's dressed just like Jesus or Yeshua, but Yeshua is at the end of his trek through the desert. You yeah. have to imagine this is what Yeshua looked like the day he walked into the desert before yeah. he was all like haggard and stuff. He looks like he's more well, and just there's, put a, together. there's a confidence and almost an arrogance there, and just a definite like, like with Jesus, like he he has like the weight of the world on his shoulders, just being like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Well, Satan doesn't have anything like that. There are a couple moments here and there where you see like a little flicker of regret, uh, which I well, think is interesting. What I loved, and again. Not again. I'm, I'm saying again because of a conversation you and I had off mic. Um, but I don't know if this is a common portrayal of uh, depiction or characterization of Satan uh, in this movie. But I was really fascinated of the idea with the idea that what I got because the movie is very much about fathers and sons, mm-hmm. Jesus as God's son, and also yes. we're seeing Kieran Hines and uh, Ty Sheridan's. That's the family that Jesus is uh, Yeshua is. Uh, helping build a house. And we're, so we're seeing this father son dynamic play out there. That's clearly what it's about. And I was fascinated by this idea that Satan feels almost like a bastard son of God, if you know what I mean? Like he, he, he thinks of himself as one of God's creations just as much as Yeshua is. Um, and is kind of frustrated and bitter that he's not, that either he's frustrated and bitter that God doesn't view him the same way he's, he views Yeshua or more often because he's in the same space as Yeshua. Um, he's frustrated that Yeshua doesn't see this, doesn't have the same opinion of God that mm-hmm. Lucifer. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah, he's like, he's like, don't he basically thinks God is full of shit and is saying, how come you can't see this? It's almost like it's not a sympathetic portrayal of Lucifer so much as a, it's a portrayal of it's a portrayal of Lucifer of a Lucifer who is sympathetic toward Jesus, which is kind of mm-hmm. interesting to me. He's antagonistic, but also it's almost like he's trying to I guess he's just he's trying to to persuade him of something. Yeah. Well it's which is the the Lucifer of the Bible. He's something of a persuader. But at the same time, you said bastard son. Mm-hmm. I think another word is prodigal son, if you actually want to go that way with it. And I'm not sure if I would say uh if I would 
say that uh, Garcia was inspired by that, but the idea of like a bastard son is a father is just like, he's not mine. Mm -hmm. I, he was never mine. I don't want him anywhere near me. Get him out of here or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm not proud of him. He, he brings me shame. Prodigal son is one who had, who has like the love and favor of the father and rejects it and then goes off and does his own thing and then realizes, oh, this was not a great thing. Now, in the story of the prodigal son, he comes back. Right. And then when right. his father sees him, he runs and meets him halfway and there's a loving embrace. Uh, whereas this is a prodigal son who looks from far off and just and and feels a certain degree of shame, but then... I know this from personal experience. Shame will often manifest itself as aggression towards the thing that you feel is bringing you shame. Hmm. And uh, I see a lot more of that. Like when I say like there is regret, it's almost like he like he's making himself hate God for a decision that he made. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yes, is trying to get Jesus on his side because like, well, what would hurt? But I, nothing I, would hurt God more. I still think Satan feels in this movie, at least the character of Satan feels uh, or of Lucifer. I, I never know how to refer to him because he's never yeah. he's never referred to the as anything demon, in the movie, but the he's, demon, the, he's yeah. credited as the demon. Yeah. Um, I still think he feels that he made the right decision. I think so. But in the same way that there we see a lot of doubt on Jesus part. I think we do see one again, a flicker of regret and regret is doubt. Yeah. Um, are you, uh, yeah, are you, which well, I like, I like a lot. Are you referring to the shooting star scene or the conversation about the shooting star after the shooting star scene? Uh, all, all of the above. It's okay. around a campfire, right? Yeah. 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 I like that scene a lot. Um, all right. Uh, we've got a lot. There's so much more that could be said about so this. I, I really, really dug One, this like, movie. And that's uh, coming from a non-believer. Um, I, I thought it was fascinating. I also think I don't want to give anything away. Yeah. Um, it had an epilogue, maybe even two epilogues. Since if you, if you think of the final shot, it's complete as a second yeah. epilogue uh, that I did not see coming. <laughs> I did not think it was going to go. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that's that's what we were going to... We were going to see those things depicted in, in the movie. Um, yeah, that last that epilogue... I, causes me to think that the film is maybe a lot more cynical uh than everything before it oh i don't see that at all i don't well, think this is a cynical movie at all interesting i think it's a very hopeful movie hmm. um about uh yeah and we about, about well i think it's a very hopeful about people because it's kind of like when we talked about the last temptation of christ this is I'll use a percentage again. I'm going to say 85% of the Yeshua we've seen in this movie is the human side. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. About that I know there are tough. some other things. But yeah. Uh, and I, I, and I do like all of that. I will say that one thing that I, that I would like, uh, one of the reasons that I would like Christians to watch it is because we see this, you know, a lot of his issues with this family and with the situation looked familiar to me, you know, like anytime I'm dealing with a, a person, something that either has directly to do with me or I see a friend who's like in some kind of emotional or physical turmoil and like, I just want to do something and I want to comfort them. And I have a lot of different ways that might do that, but I'm not sure which one to do and I might make it worse. Um, and but then there's also the idea, it's like, well, I wish I could just come in and save them, not save them like in a Christian way, but like, I wish I could come in, the, come in and rescue them from their circumstances, but maybe that's not what is 
best for them in this mm-hmm. circumstance. And so I feel I like I feel like his his situation, his dilemma is a is a remarkably human one. And in that way, but he, he always he he approaches with humility. He approaches with with uh, he approaches first as a listener, as opposed to a talker. And I feel like that's something that Christians could get a lot out of. This mm. depiction of Jesus is one that I find fascinating. Uh, yeah, we should um, move on. We should once we're done, you and I will talk about things we can't talk sure, about on the sure. show. And we should also address that because I don't know I, I don't know how much this sticks out to you. I mentioned it to you mm-hmm. off mic. Um, but this is yet another white Jesus, um, which is, it's weird that you've got a Scottish Jesus, you've got Kieran Hines, who's an Irishman and Ty Sheridan, who's an American. And then you've got the Kieran Hines, uh, sickly wife, who is also very good in the movie, but has Mm -hmm. less to do because she's sickly and spends most of the time laying in the tent, uh, who is actually Israeli. Like that's like, Oh, there you go. (laughs) That's a, uh, you're a quarter of the way there. Um, I don't really need to. I don't think we need to comment on that at all. It is just something that um, Josh mentioned on the main show last week when we mentioned this movie. Um, and it's something that keeps happening that's odd to me. I could definitely see it being a situation where, like, if you're Rodrigo Garcia and you present this script and this idea of what this film's going to be to a studio, they're like, hmm, okay, we're going to need some stars, please. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some, and don't get me wrong. Like I, and it's tough for me to get angry about it because the performances are so good they really are i've always been a ewan mcgregor fan well and i i'm not sure if i'd say i'm not sure if i'd say career best but he's turning in two really wonderful performances and just in the way and people say this all the time with dual performances but like you can tell which one is which just by the way he carries himself yes the the earring as well but also (laughs) no but you're right you you don't have to have them both on the same screen to tell um which one is which uh also the movie was shot by emmanuel lubezki um which is great it didn't it looked like emmanuel lubezki but also you realize that he has like his his uh inaritu look he has his um malik malik look and but then like Burn After Reading is a movie that looks like Emmanuel Lebesky, but also looks like the Coen brothers. And yeah. this was like, this is a beautiful movie. Last Days is unbelievably beautiful. And the point I understand shot entirely with natural light um, there. I, mean, I guess when you're shooting digitally, yeah, you, you can not, shoot. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, even then like nighttime stuff is just shot by like, like lit by campfire and stuff like that. It's really, really beautiful. Were you going to say something about Lebesky? Yeah, there's, so there's no opening credits in this film. So Jason and I are sitting next to each other. And the, the closing credits are, are not, not, not rolling, but like, you know, they're, the, the cards are coming up. End titles. End titles. And when you see Emmanuel Besky's name, both Jason and I, without consulting one another, had a physical reaction, which was like, <laughs> as if to say, like, uh, we, a physical reaction was like, well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And then we saw that we both did it and just started laughing and then just started yeah. making out, obviously. Obviously. Um, that was one of the reasons I wanted to see the movie, uh, so bad. Actually. Yeah. I did not know that he, that he shot it. I was excited. Okay. We talked about the movie forever. Yeah. Um, but that's okay because it knocks one of the things off of my list. Yeah. Um, so I let's move what on. Warren Beatty thought of the film. <laughs> you should have asked. Him. I should have asked. Him. Um, let's move on to a movie that I was, I was looking forward to last days in the desert. Here's a movie that I was dreading yeah. and ended up loving. Okay. Comes out this weekend. It's called neighbors Two: no. sorority rising. Now, if you remember, I did, was I was not a fan of Neighbors. Yes, I did not care much, which was apparently for, a really big deal uh, to some people. Um, yeah, it, yeah. Well, a lot of Battleship Retention 
I guess we have a hive mind over here because when we did our worst movies of 2014, it made one of the 10 worst movies, yeah. which um, I think that's what set some people off because uh, um, everybody loved it. Um, Thankfully, we had Snowpiercer on that list to kind of uh, take <laughs> some of the heat. The yeah. yeah, so, um, but everything that I didn't like, not everything, there are a couple things that carry over, unfortunately, but they're very minor. Um, uh, this movie is an improvement on Neighbors in every way. Mm-hmm. It's, even though it's only five minutes shorter, it feels like it's 40 minutes shorter because Neighbors had that modern studio comedy problem of just feeling like a, like loose ramble too much of the time. You know what I mean? Just like too much letting people riff. This movie feels tight and lean and it is also unlike Zac Efron. Uh, well, yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah, he is a, he is a, that guy's in good shape. Uh, (laughs) this movie does not let you forget it. Okay. Yeah. He's shirtless. I would say most of, most of the time he's on screen. He doesn't, he's not wearing a shirt. Um, but also what you, one thing you lose, um, when you do that kind of twenty first century studio comedy thing of having relying too much on improvisation, is you lose the nexus of the characters. Yeah, because the the you see too much of the performer when they're improvising a lot. This is a movie that is actually very interested in its characters, um, and unlike a lot of comedy sequels, it's not just a straight redo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it actually builds on you know where these characters are at the end of the first movie um and zach efron's character becomes and he kind of was this in the first movie but i think that really uh, focuses in on it here he's a tragic character because he was the head of a did you read my review um no but i looked at the av club and they said that like the movie is pretty good but that he's like fantastic yeah because he's like He's funny. Yeah. Uh, I know, uh, again, Josh Fadum is not a fan of Zach Efron being in all these comedies, but he's funny in, in, in these neighbors movies, at least. Um, and especially this one, he's, he's very funny, but also it's this portrait of a guy who like was at his peak when he was the president of a frat in college. Mm-hmm. And now he's two years past that. And his other friends have, have moved on and gotten jobs and stuff. And he's, uh, he's lost. Um, and it's, and the fact that he comes back and ends up finding some sort of almost like parental figures in mm-hmm. the parents that he was, that were his adversaries in the first movie becomes weirdly touching. Nice. Um, and also they get some really, they get some really funny stuff out of without betraying the character, making Zach Efron's character occasionally just really stupid. Okay. <laughs> like you can imagine like, Oh, this guy did not focus on anything. His entire <laughs> life, like his entire life was about leading up to, and then being the president of a frat. And he doesn't know anything about the world. Um, there's a sequence where Seth, a very, very sweet and hilarious sequence of Seth Rogen, <laughs> Uh, teaching Zach Efron how to boil an egg. <laughs> that is one of the comedic highlights of the movie. Actually. Um, I gotta see this movie. Do you think I need to see the first one? First? Uh, no, okay. uh, my, my wife came with me. She hadn't seen the first one. She loved this. The only thing okay. you need to know is that there's a recurring gag in the first movie where the frat guys steal all the airbags out of Seth Rogen and Roseburn's cars yeah. and then hide them in places. So like they, sit down I, on the couch and suddenly shoot into yeah the, i saw uh, that in the trailer yeah, yeah it's dumb and unfortunately that comes back i was like because like yeah before the movie my wife was like what do i need to know and i was just like oh here's the basic premise of the first movie and then like halfway through this one i was like i guess i should have mentioned the airbags because that's weirdly they're that's a weirdly big part like they're mentioning the airbags a lot um so that's the only thing you need to know okay. in order to see this one uh the other thing i want to say 
is that um, this movie, despite being a movie that is entirely written and directed uh, by men, is a uh, really, truly feminist movie and not in a way that's just like lip service. It really is uh, showing the the experience of young women in college and uh, what how the partying that the movie if not celebrated, but at least treated as matter of fact in the, in the first movie um, is very different when you're coming at it from a, the young female college student point of view, you know, when there's the fear of being roofied and there's the entire goal of these frat parties is often to uh, get women into bed. Um, And the double standard, which is a real thing that sororities can't throw parties, but fraternities can, um, technically the rule is sororities can't have alcohol and for, and fraternities can, but that essentially amounts to the same thing. Why is that? Um, I, I looked it up today cause I, I knew about it from the hunting ground, that documentary. Right. I knew that was a thing and I looked it up today and it doesn't seem like there's, um, any concrete reason why that exists. It just was a rule a long time ago and is now still enforced by the Greek system. It's not, a, it's not a law. Yeah, it's yeah. enforced. It's the Greek, Greek system still enforces that rule. There was one ru- rumor that, um, um, as that, um, and I don't think this is true, but one per I, I read somewhere online that, uh, that rule came from if there were a certain number of women living in a house together, without a man and there was alcohol, then it was technically a brothel. <laughs> I don't think that's true, <laughs> but I do think that, uh, is funny. <laughs> that's funny. The idea that that is the reason why. Um, and it, it So the movie really is exploring like, uh, what I was afraid of was that this is going to be the same movie, but with girls. Yeah. But it really is particularly exploitative on top of everything else. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it really is addressing, uh, the fact that these things are different. These girls want different things, um, and different things are expected of them and their parties look different than the guys parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, it's, uh, and it, but it's also really like sex positive, um, and not exploitative. It, it's, but also like, yeah, it, it's, Fantastic. They can be sexy under their own terms and with agency, um, uh, or they can choose to have parties that are just about girls only nights doing karaoke and watching movies and stuff like that. And like, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. Singing into hairbrushes. I uh, probably, um, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's for me to say that the movie is empowering because I'm not uh, a person who would be empowered by it as your a wife, man. Your wife was there. Did she feel um, uh, empowered? Uh, I don't know if that's the word she would use either, but she, yeah, this is not just a, my male point of view saying right. that it's, um, a feminist movie. My, my wife and other women on the internet that I've uh, read, um, seem to agree with me and that's, that's good. My, yeah, my wife felt very like it, the movie does like a really wise thing where the first party they go to is a frat party. And it's almost like it lets you get a little nervous. Like, Oh, is this what this movie's going to be? You know? And I think they do that intentionally to have something for the characters to reject and for the movie to say, no, we're not doing this. See, and I feel like that's the thing is that you, like you might not be in a position to say, oh, this is empowering, but you do, you are, you are able to say this movie is clearly trying to do something notably different from the first film. And it didn't have to, they could have just had it be a complete rehash of the first film in every possible way. It didn't even have to incorporate a sorority. It could just been another fraternity Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, but they're trying new things, and by inco- by bringing like 
you know, young women into it and showing the world that they live in and the expectations that are, that are on them. Like it's whether you and I can have like an, a direct emotional response to it or not critically and intellectually, we can say they're doing something different, notably yeah. different, excited and, and be excited. And about it's that. consistent and yeah. coherent in terms of, yeah, it, uh, I really like that. And I, I also, I also haven't talked about the fact that it, this movie is nonstop fucking hilarious. Okay. There's so many laughs. I want to just tell them right now, but that would be giving it away. Yeah. Um, there are, uh, I'll tell one, uh, Rose Byrne makes a inspirational speech to the sorority sisters. Okay. Um, and this is like late in the movie after they've been at war for the whole movie. And then Chloe Grace Retz is like, you guys, the mom is right. <laughs> that's all she knows of her is that she's the mom that made that, that made me laugh so hard. Uh, there's a scene, I won't say what the joke is, but there's a scene where Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne are freaking out about whether they're good parents. Mm-hmm. And then they start trying to one up each other and proving their, the worst parent and ah. they're talking about things they've done uh with or to or around their daughter that have proved <laughs> and that that's a very funny scene um lisa kudrow is back for another one scene cameo like she was she's the dean of the college she was oh, okay. in the first one um it's it's great uh there's another cameo i won't spoil um that's that's uh that, that's really good yeah, it's, I really, I really liked it. I kind of want to see it again. I did have a question because I don't know, just uh, my natural contrarianism is kicking in. I find myself asking, having not seen either of these films, the first film seems to view the frat as a negative thing—that these are a bunch of uh, obnoxious idiots and, well, and, like, and, like, no, and like horn dogs and stuff. Is that true? No, because, I mean, yes and no. They're as much characters as the family is. Okay. And um, their friendship is important. Okay. Their broship, one could say. Yeah. Um, and, they, and they, you know, Zach Efron is the main one of them who's back, but the main core of the frat do okay. make appearances. Okay. Dave Franco has a couple of scenes, Jared Comerick has a couple of scenes, and Christopher Mintz-Plass has one scene. Okay. Um, okay, well, that's, that's good to know, because... Uh, is the the vibe that I got from reading a couple of reviews at this point is that it's so focused on like how oppressive maybe seems like a, a tough word, but like I'll I'll use it because I can't think of another one. We got to move on. Um, how oppressive like the Greek system is, or just college in general is to like these young women. Based on how on like what I read, it sounds like oh okay, so they're not going to be represented as the uh, obnoxious assholes that the frat is like no, but they are they are because the movie recognizes um, they're still kids and yeah. kids are dumb. College students are the worst. <laughs> the costumes are dumb, and there is even some things for the contrarian in you. I think there are are a couple of jokes about um, maybe these girls using sort of the new wave of feminism as an excuse to just forgive themselves for certain things. That's funny. Okay. I uh, wasn't even, I wasn't expecting that. That's fun. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, I'll give this one thing away. Chloe Grace Moretz is like, they're coming with a plan to get back at the parents. And then she's like, or I don't know. Do you guys think that's too mean or too intense? And the other girl is like, if you were a man, you wouldn't even have to ask that question. Then mom, mom's dropping a mic. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and yeah. I don't mean to imply it's, just, it's like, I want I want women to be assholes too. It's more just like, but they kind of are. That's, and that, that's what I mean. It's like, that was my concern is that like, that they weren't, that the filmmakers weren't so 
concerned about being empowering that they forgot to make these characters genuinely funny. Uh, but it sounds like that's not the case. No, I, what it is is it, it allows them to be as dumb as the guys are, All right. but also recognizes that um, they're going to be dumb in different ways. You know what? It's not like uh, there's movies like uh, no one saw Dirty Love with Gene, <laughs> Jenny McCarthy. Oh boy! Um, and I didn't see the sweetest thing with um, who's in that? Is that Cameron, Cameron Diaz, Diaz and Christina Applegate? Maybe that sounds right. Um, but there's like occasionally these like gross out like female driven comedies, but it's just yeah. like, it's the same shit as the dumb male comedies. Yeah. They just happen to be women. This is a movie that recognizes women can be just as dumb as men, but it's just going to look a little different because they're coming from a different place. See, and that's the thing is I, I, when I observe that, like some of my favorite, like comedic performances or even just comedic characters, like, fi- sorry, my favorite, like, like somebody like a Madeline Kahn or a Julia Louis Dreyfus, they can be, and this sounds shitty to say, but like they can be just as funny as a man. They are often funnier. They are often like they are to me like some of the best comedic presences I've ever you, seen. Yeah, on you screen. named two of my comedic heroes. Yeah, yeah. they're amazing. Um, I was just watching some clips of Madeline Kahn the other day because in, uh, in what? Well, spoiler alert for uh, my upcoming Monday movie uh, okay. post is about the Cheap Detective. Oh, all right, all right. And so her. <laughs> Her thing just there's just like I think a compilation on YouTube of all the different names that she gives in that movie, and then like there's one where she gives another one, but just changes her mind at the last minute. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, um, yeah, and just so I look at that, and and anytime it's tough to be, this sounds weird. It's tough to be in our position because we're a couple of guys talking about like, oh well, this female uh, give, is giving a really good uh, comedic performance because we probably wouldn't think that way. Uh, if it were a, a male and it's hard to know, it's just like, well, they should be funny, uh, in a way that is different because women are different than men. Mm. Uh, I know this from watching eighties <laughs> comedy. Um, uh, but, but you're right. There does like, you can't simply, it's why to me, like the female odd couple, or when I hear about, uh, 12 angry jurors, it's why it doesn't to me work. I've, I've seen the female odd couple. And while I have no doubt that, You've actually seen it perform? Yeah. Okay. I've read it. And it just doesn't work as well. Not because women can't be sloppy. Not because women can't be like uh, like a Felix Unger type or an Oscar Madison. Not because of that, but for whatever reason, it's like you can't simply have the lines be the same. You know, like you have to have a different dynamic. Like Glengarry Glenn Ross works because it's all men with all that stupid horseshit machismo. Same with 12 Angry Men. Like it's just... And in the same way, like you, if you took, what is that movie? The women uh, that mm-hmm. I think they remade, uh, they remade and everyone forgot about it. Yeah. Uh, but like, that's one that's very much about like the, di- the dynamic of women. And it's like, and if you kept the script the same, but just tr- changed it to men, it's not going to be the same. Like you need to adapt, you know, as, hmm. and I don't think that that's like a shitty thing to say that like, you know, me and my friends looks very different than Jen and her friends. Uh, even if the camaraderie, the core of camaraderie and even the core of humor is exactly the same, it will manifest itself in different ways. And I feel like, you know, a film that is, that is truly empowering is one that will exist, will, will acknowledge that, yeah, it can be the same, but still be distinct. 
Right. I, I think you're okay. right. I would love to hear. Um, I'd love to uh, beg for comments in the comment section. I want sure. our uh, lady listeners to yeah. to chime in on that. I, I really want to hear that. And um, they say, yeah, you're both being patronizing. Uh, yeah, um, probably. What's What's next for you? Is that it for you? Last one for me is a documentary that's on Netflix. It's called I Am Road Comic. Now, I've seen I Am uh-huh. Comic, uh, both directed by Jordan Brady and just, you know, just kind of the latest in stand, these stand-up documentaries. But Jordan Brady does these together in a pretty interesting way because he will have sort of a central not story but he'll have one thing that he keeps returning to a thread that he keeps returning to and then along the way he'll he'll have various commentators and so you know in in i am comic it was uh, a guy named rich scheidner who who i actually knew as a stand-up in the in the 90s uh who got away from it and just became a writer and it follows him getting back into stand-up and then it also has a lot of interview footage with stand-up comedians. This one follows friend of the show, Wayne Fetterman, mm. uh, who was is good friends with Jordan Brady, and it just it follows the two of them going to a road gig in I think Washington or maybe Oregon, I don't recall, um, for one weekend. So it just kind of follows their weekend, but then throughout, it's interviewing you know Doug Benson and Kyle Kinane and Nikki Glaser and a number of people. Um, and just talks about like what it is to be a road comic because it is notably different and just the stories that are, that are told and just how crappy it is. Um, and then there's, there's a really nice moment, you know, like at this point I may feel like I, I know I I have a good idea who Mark Maron is and I have both (laughs) positive and negative opinions of that. But there's a moment when, no, he's telling a story about this one guy who is, uh, who has passed away because he lived a pretty hard life and just tells this road story and you can just, and everybody knows somebody, they either like ha- have these stories themselves or they know a guy who has these stories and they just talk about how like the road can be very hard on a, on a performer. You know, they, there's a whole section where they talk about like someone will come back to Los Angeles after being on tour for a while and everyone be like, oh, they got a little too much road on them, <laughs> which is to say that like, they're a little bit too raw. They're, they're used to going for crowds that are not very forgiving. And so they just kind of have a, they just kind of, they're a little bit more aggressive than you would think. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. And what I like is that having seen, I am comic and now I am road comic. It definitely makes a distinction between the two huh. and you get a really good sense in I, because so many people would say that, including me, that like, well, life of show business is a, is a fairly easy life. You could do a lot worse. Um, but I am road comic. It makes it clear, like, you're not getting much money, and everybody hates you, uh, <laughs> and you're probably going to get screwed out, and you're going to get screwed out of money by clubs and and shady promoters. And, and you're away like from that. home a lot, which means uh, that's what I always think about is like, how do you hold down a relationship or have a pet? Yeah, like <laughs> in so <laughs> two two most important things to me: my, well, yeah. my wife and my pets. Well, and that's the thing is, so that we see Wayne, who's, you know, an old pro at this point, and it's fun to see him, you know, I mean, you and I, aside from knowing his stand-up, you know, you and I know him in, as, like, not necessarily a friend, but like, we know him personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fun to see him in a purely professional context. And it's just like, oh, yeah, he's a pro. Like, he yeah. knows what he's doing. So he's there. Jordan is there. And then they actually pull in this guy who's just an opener and he's fairly, he's like 35, but he's only been doing it for a few years and he has a day job and all that. And he has to take a bus like seven hours to get to the gig. 
and you just see the enthusiasm and that like getting to open for Wayne Fetterman and Jordan Brady at one for one weekend at a crappy little club. And he just, you see him on the phone with his wife and saying like, he's like, I I feel like I'm a real comedian today. Like he goes, I used to say I do comedy, but now I feel like I'm a comedian. You look at that and you see the excitement, but it's so sad at the same time. (laughs) And that's what it is to be a road comic. And it's, it's, it's on Netflix right now. It's, it's really good. You could, you could, uh, if you find comedy interesting, stand up comedy, interesting as you and I do, I think you, you'd really get a lot out of it. All right. Um, my last movie, I won't, uh, talk too long about because it's actually only kind of half a movie. Um, Criterion put out a two Blu-ray set um, of the Swedish director. I think it's Jan Troel. Um, he did Here Is Your Life, which I reviewed for the site like a year and a half ago. Um, but it's a it's a two Blu-ray set of The Emigrants and The New Land, which is really, there are two movies that are both over three hours long, but it's really just one long story okay. um, about a Swedish family uh, in the mid-1800s emigrating <laughs> leaving sweden and coming and settling in america um and it's like i said the first one's three hours and 15 minutes or something and it ends with them finding the plot of land in america like mm-hmm. the entire first movie like the first hour or so um or yeah hour and a half takes place in sweden and then the there's a whole long part um, on the boat, which is a nightmare, um, the the travel from uh, from from the continent to uh, to to North America, uh, and then they finally get there, and um, it's a, it's it's really really good. Uh, it's a a great sense of character and place, and uh, a lot of the characters are not. No character is um, uh, a saint, which I, I like that it's a sort of warts and all portrayal of like. Uh, the the lead is Max von Sydow and his mm. wife is played by Liv Ullman. Um and he's the protagonist but he's also like kind of um selfish and stubborn and hard-headed um which comes sometimes comes in handy when they have to like you know when they're going 15 miles like at 1500 miles after they've already traveled for 10 weeks across the the ocean they have another 1500 miles to go to get to Minnesota mm-hmm. um his obstinance probably comes in handy uh but sometimes it can also be a real problem and sometimes he treats his wife like shit uh um and uh it, but it's a really uh warm and organic and natural um look uh and it also like it got like that stuff on the boat is just to think that this this is they are one of thousands mm-hmm. of families you know what i mean yeah. like as a as a patriot, uh, like it really like stirred me to think that people came, you know, and settled this country and went through hell to do it and yeah. came with no knowledge of what they didn't have a land land. They had some money saved up and some farming ability and they just had to go out into the nowhere into the, like Minnesota is a territory at this point. It's not a state. Yeah. They have to go out into this unsettled land with their kids and their, like what little they can carry and uh people are you know getting sick and dying on the but some people don't don't even they didn't, didn't there's like there's at least three people who didn't even make it uh, hmm. to america because they die on the boat it's really uh stirring but also it finds plenty of time for beauty and humor and it's just a really human movie hmm. um 
What was it called again? It's called The Emigrants. Okay. And uh, I'll talk more, hopefully, by the time we do one of these next week. Uh, I've already started. I started watching The New Land. It's um, If The Emigrants is three hours and 15 minutes, I think The New Land is like three and a half hours. Wow. Um, they are long, long movies. Um, and so hopefully I will finish The New Land by the time we do another movie journal, and I'll talk about it as a whole. But um, halfway through, I am uh, really digging this. Okay. Uh, what TV do you have to talk about? So there's, we always do this when we have fewer things to talk about. We feel like, Oh, oh we, we give it some time. more space yeah. and we end up doing longer movie yeah. journals. And we have fewer things. Well, we spent 25 minutes on a guessing game. Uh, that's probably not helpful. I don't think it was, it probably wasn't, but, um, yeah. yeah so, uh, so this was a finale week, uh, for, for me. Um, mm-hmm. so there was the finale of survivor and it was not super satisfying. The winner is fine. But there was a clear winner, and then there's the person that actually won. And a lot of people seem to think this way, uh, that, like, the the person who should have won won did not alienate people. Uh, And then it was just, like, a jury that was kind of shitty, and it was still a good episode, and it was still a good season, but I can definitely see stuff like this can put kind of a, can kind of taint a season when you realize that, like, oh, yeah, and the person that won at the end was just kind of who cares. Um, so yeah, it was a uh, kind of a bummer. Uh, it's, it's a season that's still worth watching, but likes, like some of the best seasons out there, I'll watch right up until the last episode and then I'm done mm-hmm. because I know who wins and it's not someone that I think deserves to win. And it's just like, I don't want to go out like this. Um, and this is, this is one of those seasons and it's uh, it's a bummer. That's too bad. Cause you were talking about this being one of the best ever. Yeah. yeah. If, if the person who should have won wound up winning this is one of the best seasons ever um probably like a top five season for me um and then so what else did you see uh i just want to talk about the stuff that you want to talk about okay. i don't have anything uh, to well talk. i did i will mention that i did in a certain way i did see an episode of at midnight um so did i yeah i went to so our friend the king of tv paul goble was on at midnight you can find that at uh on hulu or at the comedy central website and he was on with Greg Barrett and Maria Bamford, and he invited us to the taping. I was able to go. You were not because you were working. Yep. And the taping was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. There's some fun behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, I don't know if you saw, because you watched the episode. Yes. I don't, do you see, when Paul buzzes in, do you see how he buzzes in? No. He will very rapidly and very aggressively push that button over and over and over again. So he broke the button uh, and they had to stop the show, come in and fix it. And Hardwick is like, he goes, well, Paul, you've got the distinction of being the only person to break a buzzer. <laughs> and Paul, to his credit, was just like, he goes, well, you know, these aren't the buzzers I'm used to. You know, I'm used to buzzers that can really take it, you know. Um, <laughs> so it was really funny. But uh but yeah, it was it was really great to to be there. Uh, it was fun to watch. And what I will say, and this may sound, you know, like I'm just praising somebody that I know, but uh, so he's on that stage with Chris Hardwick, head of the Nerdist, and the guy who's a you know kind of a, something of a star comedian amongst others, uh, yeah. amongst some, um, Maria Bamford, who is a star. Yeah. And Greg Barrett, who is kind of a star and at least high profile. And then you've got right there in the middle, Paul Goebel host of the Hey, Watch This and Bottle Episode episode podcast. Um, And yet, silly me, 
I forgot how much Goebel can take over a stage like, like no one else was even there. Um, I forgot how big of a personality he can have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like, I already know it, but when you see him up there, you're just like, Oh, right. I forgot that like he's been on TV before he's been in this position before. And when people think of beat the geeks, they think of him. Mm-hmm. Um, no offense to the, the other geeks or the hosts, you know, they did a fine job, but he including was, Mark with whom we, Mark, with whom we partied, yeah. uh, partied hard. Yeah. Uh, we had a good time doing karaoke. Yeah, that was, eh, I'll ask you about that later. Um, oh, okay. but, uh, yeah, and so I was very happy for Paul that he did as well as he did yeah. uh, with the audience and, and that kind of thing. Now, and he won. We can and say he won. He won. Yeah. He won the internet for for the day. Yeah, Does, and you enjoyed you enjoyed watching it. I've I've uh, never seen an episode. Um, I think this was this was the first. No, that's not true. Because um, I've been to a taping. Okay, and I watched that one when it aired. Okay, and then I watched this one. So this is the second episode I ever watched. Okay, that midnight. It was. Uh, yeah, it was so much fun, and I was happy for Paul that he won and he got to do his goofy little dance. Yeah, um, yeah, that dance was a highlight. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, you guys can watch it, and also, uh, if you like it, you should definitely tweet at midnight and say "Have at Paul Global Show back on again." Damn they, right, they will listen to that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, to me, I look at that, and I just look. If I'm Chris Hardwick or one of the producers, and I see how Paul does, you know. It's like, well, we gotta, we have to have that back. But obviously, I'm biased. But uh, and there was this nice moment at, when he won, uh, and he's dancing around. The applause is going, and then Jim Bruce and Tom Griffin and Mark, whose last name I never, I never Hoik. remember, Hoik, uh, and others, the people that were there in the audience for Paul, and I joined in. I didn't uh-huh. start it, but I joined in started chanting started chanting who's the king and they just get louder and louder and then other people in the audience started doing it too and it's like they don't know why they're saying uh-huh. this but uh but i did and it's like damn right who's that's the king? awesome paul goble that's awesome so, yeah. yeah and then we all went and uh, sang karaoke and yeah. i'm still not 100 percent sure if people were laughing at me or they thought i did okay you did, i got you did okay i got really really paranoid no you did good Thank you. Yeah, and you did as, you did well uh, as well when I yeah. walked in. Yeah, you didn't seem like good. I, I I messed. I did I did better when no one was there yet. I should have I, I should have held off on the gym blossoms until people showed up because that that one I can <laughs> I can rock out to. Um, and then we have one more thing to talk about, Indeed. right? Can I real quick tell a story though? Sure. About why I'm not caught up on TV because Sunday's my usually TV TV watching day. Okay. This past Sunday, I did something I'd never done before. I went to Disneyland California Adventure. Oh yes, I'd never been to California How Adventure exciting. before. I. Now, not being a California native or a geek like like you and your wife are, I have no um, hesitation to say that I like California Adventure better than Disneyland now. Oh, man. Um, No no problem at all. Like, definitely, this one's for me. Um, I had had so much fun at California Adventure, and I didn't even get to do the Cars, Radiator Springs, Racers. We went. That thing. Well, is first so off, that one sells. There was, out quick. There was a problem. That's what happened. There was a problem with parking where we were didn't get to park in the main lot, and they had to redirect us to the Anaheim Garden Walk, oh, yeah. which the traffic was so bad, and plus we had to walk to the park from there that it was. By the time we actually got into the park, it was an hour later than we had planned. Almost an hour yeah. later than we had planned to getting into the park. So that set us back. First thing we did was make a beeline for the Radiator Springs Racers uh, Fast Pass. Yeah. No more fast passes for the day. Yeah. That's that was the first thing. How long was single rider going to be? 
um, you know, we should have, we should have, we should have done that, but I don't think, I don't think we wanted to do single writer. Okay. I think we're, yeah. It's understandable. Um, but I, I was, I really wanted to go to California adventure for there a number of reasons. The main reason I wanted to go ended up being my favorite thing, which is the tower of terror, which I wanted to go to before they stopped. It stopped being twilight zone and started being guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. Um, which I don't know how that's going to be as fun. I don't know. I just, cause T- tower of terror is such a fun ride. Um, that is the that is a ride that I cannot go. That ride makes me sick. Not a hmm. lot of rides make me sick. Straight up and down makes me sick. Huh? Um, so I cannot ride that one. Yeah, I, that's a fun ride, and it's just great. Uh, I don't know if the word is production design or art direction. Mm. I guess the the whole inside like waiting area. That was when we got a fast pass, and a part of me was like, I could have not gotten a fast pass and just spent fifty minutes in this line because yeah. this like lobby area is so cool. Um, yeah, we we did all the uh, all the all the fun stuff, and also, I mean, I'm not gonna uh, lie. Like the fact that I could buy a beer or some wine at California Adventure right. is a selling point to me. Um, but I want to tell you a story. Okay. Um, that uh, I still laugh about when I think about it, even though this was days ago. Um, there were a couple of kids being shitty kids, just tear assing through the park, not looking where they're going, oh. and. I come around and this kid, like, I don't have time to get out of the way. This scrawny little kid holding cotton candy (laughs) runs into me at full speed. And I, I almost feel bad for him because, because you're a brick wall, man. Well, I I would like to think that if I ran into someone at full speed, even if it were a big guy, he'd at least have to stay, take a step back or whatever. This kid didn't even hurt me. He essentially just went flat like a cartoon character up against me and then fell over backwards <laughs> with his cotton candy. Uh, like he was a Muppet. And I kind of, I wish I had, like, I kind of laughed and I was like, you're right. And he gave me a dirty look. I think he was just in shock, but it sure. registered as a dirty look to me. But I helped him up and I turned around and his mom is just laughing at him. <laughs> this poor kid. Oh, he was, I mean. Did she he, at least apologized to you? Uh, no. Mm. No. Um. Uh, no, I, th- I think, um, she might not have, uh, spoken English. I think actually, oh, okay. I think the, the kid, uh, did, I think that's common in Southern California for sure. an older generation to not, uh, speak English and their kids do. And so I think that's what this dynamic was, but she thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. Um, highlight of it, your day. It, it kind of was the highlight of my day. This poor kid. Well, now I got to ask you all this stuff. Cause I, you mentioned okay. that you were going and I forgot. Uh, okay. so you didn't get to do Radiator Springs. That's that's the one main one we didn't get to do. You did Soren. Yeah, that was. Uh, I think that was the, the first thing we did after not getting into Radiator Races. We, we got the fast pass for uh, Tower of Terror, okay. and then we went and waited in the line for Soren. So okay. the first ride we actually did was okay. Soren. Did you enjoy California. it? Yeah, 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 it's fun. Yeah, um, but um, I, I liked um, California Screaming. Uh, even better. I also liked uh, Goofy's uh, Sky Goofy's School. School. Sky School. Even though that was. Uh, I mean, I know Disney has to be friendly, but I don't know what they can do about line cutting. We almost missed out on our one of our fast passes because there were two people in front of us in line that by the time we got up were a group of 10. They were all like a family who uh, kept letting people in. Yeah, that uh, happens. It's very frustrating. Um yeah, that, that, so that, like, like it kept us, it, like, held us back from getting on the thing, and we almost missed our, one. Well, I can't remember which one, one of our fast passes. Um, and when we did the Ferris wheel, the, uh, we did the swinging ones. Oh, yeah. That's the one, yeah, that was, uh, there was no question we were doing the swinging ones, even sure. though there's no line for the stationary, uh, uh, whatever you call those, um, what do you call those? Cars? 
cars, I guess. Yeah. On the, yeah. But we definitely want to do one of the swinging ones. Um, I guess those are the main attractions that we did. Um, I'm sure I'm missing did something. You go, did you go on the dark rides like Little Mermaid or Monsters, Inc.? Uh, we did Little Mermaid. Yes. That's a good one. Um, yeah. Uh, we did not do uh, Monsters, Inc. Um, and the uh, the Grizzly Rapids thing, whatever, was closed, but that we weren't going to do it anyway because no. we didn't want to get wet. Um, and then, yeah, we had a nice dinner in uh, downtown Disney. Yeah. Uh, at Tortilla Joe's, which is apparently that's like our place when we go to downtown Disney, we go to Tortilla Joe's because my wife and I will go to a Mexican restaurant sure. nine times out of 10. Um, and the, like the fact that the Mexican restaurant in downtown Disney is called Tortilla Joe's is hilarious <laughs> to me. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great time, All but right. I mostly just wanted to tell the story about that kid just <laughs> flattened <laughs> with his cotton candy. <laughs> Just like running it, looking back at his younger brother. Sure. And just like, he could not have seen it coming less. <laughs> That's, I'm fascinated by that because just like, you know, you look at kids and just things, it's not that it, they don't occur to them because how, why would they? Like you're a kid, everything is, is new. Uh-huh. And then, but like as an adult, it's like, I don't even like walking at a fast pace because you never know. <laughs> like at my gym, like if you're going into the men's room, it's a blind corner. Uh-huh. So I'm like. I'm going to, it's like, I'm going to stay close to the wall in case, and let, and hopefully somebody makes a wide turn, but there are people that are just like, I, I can't be making a wide turn. Never mind that. I can't see if anybody's coming yeah. and just like, come on. And it's almost always the younger, the younger crowd that just come flying out of that bathroom as though no one's, ugh. all right, let's talk about the amazing race. You and I are old curmudgeons, David. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's start with the amazing race. We don't have to talk too much about it. Okay. But, um, it was, uh, it was a solid final episode. I don't mind kind of like you were saying with survivor, the pe- people I wanted to win did not win. Right. But I'm not bothered by that because honestly they ran a really solid leg. Yeah, very much so. And even, even Dana who I didn't like, like she's the only person I consistently didn't like yeah. all season. But then uh, she shows, I, I, I respect anybody who shows in it that they know the race. And she said, the minute I saw that hashtag, I knew this is oh, going to come back. See, but no, nobody had a problem with that. And that gets nobody, to my, yeah. that gets to my issue. Um, so yeah, we, we don't have to talk much about the amazing race at all. Right. They, they won, they ran a great, great, great race. They're really smart to when, to look up pictures of the boat and see the museum behind it for context clues. Do you oh, know what I'm meaning? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. when they had to look for the boat, they went essentially straight to, they didn't have to look for the boat at all. They went straight to where it was because they knew where it was yeah. in relation to the museum. That was, re- that's potent- really smart. They made a potentially fatal move though. Letting the flaw, taxi go. Is, yeah. Um, yeah, but I want to know that they're city dwellers and it probably didn't occur to them that, because yeah. they're in a touristy place. Yeah. They probably would think that it's easy to get a cab, yeah. but it's Santa Barbara. It's not, uh, it's not Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and that it was funny that cab driver did had no idea where uh what was it Tyler and Corey's cab driver yeah didn't like you'd think a cab driver would know the way around but we talked about this on hey watch this i think a cab driver in Santa Barbara probably knows where all the wineries are because sure. that's probably what people use cabs for in Santa Barbara is to get drunk at wineries sure. and like when she has to go to some weird like peak uh she has no idea where that is yeah. but anyway the one thing i want to talk about is i think it's time for the final leg memory challenge to be retired okay because because everyone knows at this point everyone is just painstakingly memorizing and writing down everything the whole time there's no drama in it yeah and because it goes so fast it also 
um, and also this one just being words uh, was a problem. Um, it doesn't give serve the other purpose, which is for the viewer to reflect on the whole season. Do you yeah, know what I mean? That's true. It, like you didn't get any of that. It happened so quickly um, that it's the, the, the drama has gone from it. The best one, I don't know. I, this might've been before. I can't remember if this is before you started watching or not, but I think it was the first time Margie and Luke were on. That was before me. Yeah. Okay. So that memory challenge was surfboards with pictures of monuments on it. So there's no writing or anything. It was yeah. just monuments and landmarks and stuff. And so they had to arrange them in the order they saw them. But also there were surfboards that had landmarks on them that they hadn't been to. Oh, wow. So they had to pick the right ones and put them in the right order. And it was before everyone knew to memorize everything. And this is also something you couldn't really, unless you have a photographic memory, you can't yeah. really memorize uh, this anyway. That was the best one. And I feel like they've never quite lived up to that since. And at this point, it's become so perfunctory that yeah. uh, it would be more dramatically interesting if they changed it up. If If the teams got to the end and they'd been writing everything down the whole time and didn't get to use it. Uh, that'd be funny to me. Yeah. I think the only, yeah, the reason that they do it is so that it gives the viewers an opportunity to like think back and reflect, but if they're going through it so fast, so they need to find just a new way to do it that will require time, you know? Right. I yeah. Don't know. And yeah. have some dramatic stakes. I mean, yeah. cause at this point, because everything, everyone's writing everything down, it just becomes who can do it the fastest. Yeah. Really? You know? I guess there was one last last season when the paparazzi were confused about the flags a little bit, but they also weren't they weren't going to win anyway. Yeah, oh, thank God. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. it would have been so great if they won. It would have so, been fun. I, yeah. Like as someone who likes chaos, like our friend Mike Schmidt. Sure, um, I would have kind of enjoyed if they won. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'll say this: like this season, both seasons of Survivor, uh, this season of Survivor and Amazing Race, I was not expecting to like either one really, uh, and I wound up liking it quite a bit. I like this season of of Amazing Race. I'm, I'm not even necessarily bummed at the winner, um, because unlike Survivor, you know, where y- the jury is required to think back over your entire game and then they make a decision. With this one, it's you ran the best leg at the very last moment. Like you survived to the end, and then you ran the best leg. So it's just like, yeah, I can't argue with that. Right. Like it's it's you know measurable. So yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, and you know what? In the end, I'm just happy. I'm happy for Matt because he's a nice guy, <laughs> and I, hopefully he has the money now to just ditch that broad. And uh, well, no, I. Uh, uh, at this point, I, I always just repeat what I say on Hey, Watch This. But what he needs to do with the money is make sure that she has some pet chickens. Right, yes, absolutely. Because the chickens, two weeks ago, totally, like, maybe or maybe just a pet in general. Yeah. Like, sure. she was much nicer and much more easygoing when she was cradling a chicken in her arms. That's true. Some pet chickens might be exactly the thing to save this relationship. Like, he just, you know, he's uh, sitting at home, she comes home, and, like, he didn't uh, clean the kitchen or something like that. And she's like, Matt and he goes, hang on a second, and he throws a chicken at her, and she right. catches it, and she's like, oh. <laughs> "All right, you got me this time." All right. 